Hey, Tom here uh, from wherever you are tuning in. I just want to welcome you. We are in week five of our series, Home Sweet Home. And we are uh, joining forces with Restored Church Uptown in San Diego and Harbor City Church in Durban, South Africa to go through this series together where we're kind of exploring um, some different concepts in regards to how do we be people who bear good spiritual fruit when we are quarantined in our homes because of this COVID-19 pandemic that we're facing. So uh, you have the privilege this week of hearing from our friend and brother, Andy Rogers, who leads Restored Church in Uptown San Diego with his wife, Jackie. And uh, he's gonna be speaking to us today on, on peace. Uh, we're talking about this idea of, of the fruit of the spirit, the bearing good spiritual fruit as we abide in, remain in, stay with, stay connected to Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. I'm really excited for you to hear this message from Andy, but before we jump into the message, I just want to personally uh, say how proud I am uh, of you, Restored Temecula. Um, man, this season we really felt like God was kind of directing us to focus in on three things, really to simplify things in this season of quarantine, in this season of, of kind of things shifting for us in some pretty, some pretty significant ways, not just as a, as a church, as a church family, but um, in individual households. And just to kind of refresh your memory, God, we feel like God's been calling us to focus on three things, prayer, worship, and service. And like I said, I'm so proud of our church. Uh, the ways that many of you um, are, are, are living out being the church. One of the things about us that we've, that we've, um, we, we, we've wanted to do everything we possibly can from the very beginning of our, of our church plant was, was to orient our lives around the idea that the church is not a business, it's not an event, it's not a production, it's not a nonprofit organization, it's not a building, it's not something you go to. Uh, the church is the people of God, it's the family of God. Because of what God has done in and through Jesus, we get to relate to God as Father, and we get to relate to each other as brothers and sisters. And this, this is profound and beautiful reality, family, the truest family. Um, and I'm so proud of the ways that so many of you are, are living out actually being the church, especially in trying times like what we're facing right now. The, the, the stories that I'm hearing, the, the messages that I'm getting of the ways that you guys are, are praying and crying out to God and interceding um, for the benefit of others, for, for even uh, the, the, the growth of your own household, uh, it's beautiful the prayer and the worship, um, gosh, the ways that you guys are pressing into the Lord and praising Him, um, and, and even some of the ways that you're, you're developing and you're um, expressing gratitude on a daily basis is wonderful, um, and the ways that you're rallying together to meet practical needs, um, not just within our church, but outside of our church. I just couldn't be more proud to be a part of this church family. Um, and you guys, it's such a privilege, it really is. I feel grateful to God. Despite the circumstances, I know it's, it's not, uh, I like the language, it's suboptimal. I think we would all agree it's suboptimal right now, but the ways that you are following Jesus and being the church, it's remarkable and it's beautiful. So I'm just so proud. Uh, and one of the things that I have noticed kind of in this season is uh, many people are, are asking really good questions. And they're asking questions, I, I believe, with this desire to understand what's true. Um, and what I mean by that is like, Questions like why are this happening? Not just on a big scale, but practically, like why are 
Why are our governing officials making the choices that they're making? And why are we doing this and being forced not to do that? And Great questions. It's good to ask questions of why. We want to be people who seek truth. That's a wonderful thing. Seeking truth is good. But in the process of that, one of the things that I've noticed kind of pastorally is I've, I've noticed that for some, it can actually be a, a source of causing anxiety and causing fear. And like I said, this week, Andy's going to talk to us about peace, about a beautiful fruit of, of walking in the Spirit, the outcome of being, of being connected to God, remaining in Jesus, abiding in Jesus, being peace. And so what I want to do just really quickly is give you a kind of a, a practical, helpful piece of, uh, I guess, advice um, that's been really, really helpful to me personally. It's very simple, but here's what it is. Um, for every minute that you spend tuning into the news or, or reading different articles to be informed about what's happening, listen, being informed is good. It's not a bad thing, but for every minute that you turn to a source like the media or a source like the news, for every minute you spend doing that, spend like 20 to 30 minutes engaging and praying through the Word of God, opening the scriptures, um, encountering God through His Word. Because listen, the we desire to be people who, who understand and know what's true. Beautiful. Awesome. There's nothing more true than Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. It's singular. He is the most true thing that will ever be. Okay? So as we're people who are, are seeking truth and seeking these answers to these questions, why? The best place that we're going to find that is through our Bibles, through the Word of God through God declaring and revealing himself to us, his beloved and chosen and adopted children. Practical thing, but I want to encourage you. I'm so proud of the way that our church is functioning in this season with all the challenges that we're facing, all the temptations to fear, see anxiety to want to grab control of things. Man, the sovereignty of God brings me so much peace in this season. And so just before I hand things off to Andy to, uh, to share the message on peace with us, I wanted to put that in front of you and just say, man, what a privilege it is to be a part of this unique expression of the body of Christ that is restored to Mecca, this unique church family, devoting ourselves to prayer, devoting ourselves to worship, and devoting ourselves to service as the people of God. Listen, I love you dearly. Enjoy this message, and God bless you. Uh, good morning, guys. Uh, my name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here at Restore Church Uptown. And uh, this is a series that we're doing alongside Harbor City Church in Durban, South Africa, as well as Restore Church in Temecula. And the series is called Home Sweet Home and uh, Home Sweet Home question mark. And really, we've been looking at this idea of how do we grow spiritually uh, during this time of the, the COVID-19 pandemic where many of us find ourselves at home. And kind of home is where we are working out our faith. Uh, our lives, our work, our family life, and where we, the series is really on uh, the fruit of the Spirit, which is ultimately what the character of Jesus is. And so I just want to read the passage that kind of highlights that in the New Testament, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. It's um, the scripture that's really um, the foundation for this series. And it says this, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. The law is not against such things. And so again, this is a series on cultivating the fruit of the spirit. And two weeks ago, uh, Tom Logue of Restored Temecula taught on love. Uh, it was tremendous. Uh, last week, Grant Clark of Harbor City in Durban taught on joy. 
Um, and today I have the honor of preaching on the topic of peace during a global pandemic. Uh, no big deal, peace. Um, and so here's the thing with peace. Um, never has a topic felt so relevant to preach on and at the same time so intimidating to me as I consider the times we're living in. Um, because if I'm honest with you, I am so aware of my own lack of peace lately. I've felt anxiety creeping into my heart. I've felt my mind racing, my stomach in knots, my body tensing up. I've had so many moments where I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. Um, and I know I'm not alone here. It seems there is so much to be anxious about these days. Um, you may uh, have lost your job. You may have been furloughed. You may have had your hours cut by quite uh, a bit. Uh, there may be a rumor that that's going to happen or speculation. You may be wondering if, you're, if, if your company's gonna make it. You may be wondering about, um, worried about getting sick or an at-risk loved one getting sick or even worse, you getting sick and then getting an at-risk loved one sick. You may be worried about the country, kind of the, the civil liberties seem to be being violated because of the virus and that concerns you long-term as you think about the government and the country kind of entering into like a pseudo-police state for a while. Um, you may be single and you may be worried about, am I, you may be thinking, am I ever going to get married? Dating is a very weird scene right now. It's very confusing. It's tough. You, you may be married um, and your marriage feels hard right now and you're not sure where your marriage is going to go in the future um, as, you know, kind of being pressed up against each other uh, during the, the, the quarantine has been very hard. Uh, you may have kids and you may be worried about those kids uh, as you have to homeschool them. Um, and you're, you're worried that they're going to miss important stuff and fall behind in their own academic uh, development or intellectual development because you're kind of struggling to be the principal of a homeschool and the teacher of a homeschool uh, that was thrown together during the pandemic itself. And so I know, I just want to say as we start, one of my most important roles as a pastor is to call us to the teaching of Jesus to not water it down, to not make it less demanding, to not make it um, less than what it is. Uh, but I want to say that I am, um, I'm very compassionate to where you all are at if you're wrestling with worry and anxiety. And I just want to say I am wrestling with those same things. Um, but I want to say that Jesus' words are not only challenging, but they're also liberating. And, and, and his teaching always is, if we, if we rightly understand it, man. But it is hard to walk in peace these days because we live in a culture that is, that's an anxious culture. Um, one sociologist said America is one big anxious family system. Uh, one author writes this about the news. Uh, Television news broadcasts survive on scares. On local newscasts where producers live by the dictum, if it bleeds, it leads. Crime, war, disaster. Uh, pull out for a second. I think he would add pandemic if this was written today. Uh, make up most of the news on the broadcasts. He adds between 1990 and 1998, while the nation's murder rate declined by 20%, the number of murder stories on network newscasts increased by 600%. So you're hearing about it six times as much, even though it's gone down by overwhelmingly. Um, news is stressful, and those were stats from before social media uh, came on the scene. Uh, it was also before we entered the outrage culture era. Um, Everything is political, everyone is offendable, everyone is shocked all the time, no one can handle anyone having a different opinion than them. That's the culture we live in. 
uh, cancel culture, outrage culture. Liberals do it. Conservatives do it. Everyone freaks out. Um, have you guys noticed that every single election in America is always the most important election of our lifetime? And both parties seem to have the same message. If the other guys win, they're going to destroy the country. Instead of just saying something like, hey, the other party, they're decent. There's some good dudes. There's some bad dudes. There's some decent dudes um, and, and, and some great men and women. Um, I don't want to say dudes as if, as if, if it's all men. Uh, many competent, amazing women leaders in politics. Um, but... Um, you know, they're, they're decent people, but man, they have just some, some, some misguided ideas about how to govern the country. We really disagree with their ideas. Um, we don't talk that way. We go, they're awful people with, with awful agenda. Uh, before, you know, pol politics was kind of, hey, hey, we both kind of have the same goal uh, of people who are flourishing, an economy that's flourishing, people having the ability to pursue their dreams and all that stuff, at least on paper. We just have a different way to get there. We disagree on how to get there. Now it's like they, they have our worst interests at heart. They have our best interests at heart. Uh, they don't even have the same end game anymore. And so, man, that makes elections so stressful. That makes news so contentious. Um, and so that all leads to this reality. Even though we are um, the most prosperous country in the history of the world, even though we've had the most stability, we haven't had a famine in America uh, in a very long time. Um, we haven't been involved in a major war in a very long time until very recently, we had a very, very stable economy that seemed to always be getting better. Um, multiple large studies have been done that have shown um, that the modern United States is the most anxious nation in the history of the world, even though all the indicators about environment would say all the stuff that people generally are anxious about, um, this country doesn't seem to have at this time. And so um, those conclusions were found, um, by the way, before th th those conclusions were, were arrived at before the COVID-19 pandemic and everything that comes with it. Uh, I just want to say, um, I I'm sorry uh, if you're in South Africa. I want to apologize for my very American-centric illustrations. I know Americans in general are kind of full of themselves uh, as a stereotype. We put the, our country in the middle of the globe and all that stuff. And that's what I'm trying to do. I I'm obviously reaching for the, for the point of reference I'm at. But, but, but that being said, um, having uh, talked to several church leaders representing different churches and different cities in South Africa, I know America is not the only country with a peace deficit these days. If you were to open a dictionary and look up the definition of the word anxiety, um, this is what you would read or something like it. A feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. A feeling of worry about something that has an uncertain outcome. Um, has there ever been less certain outcomes in our lifetime? And so today what I want to talk about is what it means to live at peace as followers of Jesus in such an anxious time in human history. Um, one quick caveat on, on anxiety is I contrast it with peace. I'm going to talk about worry and peace, anxiety and peace. Uh, I want to say this. There can be a lot going on when you experience anxiety. Uh, for some of you, there are other factors going on in anxiety that have to do with your physiological makeup, uh, past traumatic experiences, um, or even the kind of relationship uh, you, relationships you're in in the present. Uh, before we look at Jesus' teaching, I want to be very clear that not all anxiety problems um, have a spiritual root. 
I believe that all of our emotions have some link to the spiritual because we're holistic people. Uh, but that being said, I am a pastor. Uh, I am not a therapist. And today I'm dealing primarily with the spiritual root causes of anxiety. I'm teaching what Jesus taught. Uh, I'm not speaking into dealing with anxiety disorders. Uh, we believe in those. We think those are very real um, and they are very difficult to deal with. Um, you may be wondering how to tell if you have an anxiety disorder or just a more common anxiety where you worry about the future. And again, the, the, the latter is what I would be focusing on today. But if, if you're wrestling with that, um, one clue can be how your anxiety manifests. Um, an article put out by the Harvard Medical School that literally is answering the question, am I just struggling with worry or do I have an anxiety disorder? Um, says this. It says, how would you know if you have crossed over into the zone of a full-blown anxiety disorder? Anxiety disorders are characterized by severe, persistent worry that is excessive for the situation and extreme avoidance of anxiety-provoking situations. These symptoms cause distress, impair daily functioning, and occur for a significant period. For instance, a person who needs to stay home from work for several days in a row due to panic attacks is likely suffering from an anxiety disorder. So that being said, if you're struggling to carry out your daily responsibilities and you aren't sure if it's the worry Jesus is going to call us out of today in this text, we would strongly encourage you to pursue professional help. Um, if you aren't quite sure uh, how to go about that process, I'd encourage you to reach out to your eldership team, your pastoral care team. Um, they likely are um, most, uh, none of the elders are therapists in our churches, uh, but they would love to help you get connected to solid therapists um, and mental health professionals. So that being said, um, let's read today's teaching text where Jesus calls us out of worry and into peace. Uh, it's Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 through 34. And this is Jesus te teaching, and I'll actually start in verse uh, 25. He says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they are? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, again, the wealthiest man in the world when he was alive, in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so, um, there's a lot in this passage, and I want to look at three key ideas quickly this morning. The first, uh, first point is what peace is not. The second point is what peace is. And the third point is how can we practically experience more peace? Again, what peace is not, 
what peace is and how we can experience more peace today. All right, so number one, what peace is not. Okay, so um, uh, one of the things it's not is it's not denial. Um, it's not pretending that an awful thing um, didn't happen or pretending that an awful thing doesn't look like a realistic possibility in the future. Um, it's not, uh, we're not called to be like Ned Flanders on The Simpsons, you know, that, that uh, he kind of, it was like the Christian guy on The Simpsons and he was this fake guy. You know, uh, Homer would ask him, like, how are you doing, neighbor? And he'd say, Oakley doakley. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever met anyone like that, but I, I've met a lot of people like this at, at churches. Um, we're like, man, how are you doing, bro? And you had an answer back that's kind of like, too blessed to be stressed, you know? And you're like, okay, but um, how, how are you feeling? Um, man, God is good all the time. You're like, okay, that's, that's not an emotion or a feeling. Um, isn't your, your business struggling? Are you okay? And you know, I wouldn't say it's struggling. I mean, we're out of money, but, but you know, God, Scott's doing something new. You know, he's doing a new thing. And um, that's not peace, just to be clear. That's, that's religious denial. Um, so, so that's not peace. And, 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 and Jesus calls us um, to be as um, innocent as doves and as, as, wise, as wise as serpents. He calls us to um, prepare our life for the storms that are, are going to come. He tells his disciples in the upper room discourse that they are going to suffer. So, so, so to have peace is not to, to, to be detached, is, is not to um, be in denial, um, but it's also not detachment. Um, it's not apathy. Jesus was far from apathetic. Jesus cared deeply. Jesus was the Prince of Peace when he walked this earth. And, and he walked this earth because he cared. Peace and apathy were, were not synonymous. Um, we should care about a lot of stuff and a lot of people. Again, care is what brought Jesus to this earth. Uh, care is what put Jesus on the cross. You can live a life of peace and passion at the same time. Um, uh, we should even care about our own provision and, and taking care of ourselves at some level. Again, at, at first reading, it can sound a lot like what Jesus is teaching here is that we should trust God to meet our needs and not work hard. Uh, kind of over-spiritualizing how the economy works. Like, like it, it can almost sound like Jesus is saying, hey, look at the birds, man. They don't care. They're just kind of kicking it. But that's not what he's saying. And we know that because birds are not lazy animals. Uh, they actually work really hard. Um, at my house, we have this creepy crow. Raven or crow or raven, I don't know, it's a huge black bird that lands in our front yard every day and for quite a while will dig around the grass and the soil and the puddles uh, looking for food. And, and again, birds don't hang out in their nests all day, kind of singing hillsong worship jams, waiting for seeds, berries, and bugs to fall from the sky like manna from heaven. Uh, they go looking for food. They have wings and beaks um, so that they can go look for sustenance. But they look for food. They work hard without worrying. They go, I'm getting what I need, and they're not worrying about tomorrow. And so Jesus isn't arguing against hard work. He's arguing against worry. He's not arguing about playing our parts. He's arguing, about, um, he's arguing against worrying about something that, that's not our part to play. Um, Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, if God takes care of these birds, these small little animals that you can buy with pocket change in this culture. Surely he cares about you, a man or a woman who is made in his image, a man or a woman who is knit together personally in your mother's womb, a man or a woman who has been redeemed by Jesus, the beloved of Jesus. So peace is not apathy. 
um, and it's not carelessness. Um, we should exercise caution. We should be careful. Um, one author writes this, despite their similarity, worry is not the same as being cautious or careful. We should be concerned about many things, locking doors, managing our money wisely, and driving carefully. This is not the same as worry. Um, N.T. Wright, a scholar from the UK, says this. He says, so when Jesus tells us not to worry about what to eat or drink or wear, he doesn't prefer that these things don't, he doesn't mean that these things don't matter. He doesn't mean that we should prefer to eat and drink as little as possible and to wear the most ragged and disreputable clothes just to show that we despise such things. Far from it. Jesus liked to party as much as anyone. And when he died, the soldiers so admired his tunic, his clothes, that they threw dice for it rather than tearing it up. But the point was again about priorities. Put the world first and you'll find it gets moth-eaten in your hands. But put God first and you'll get the world thrown in. And so in other words, uh, living a life of peace isn't the same as like a YOLO philosophy. Um, it's not apathy. It's not carelessness. But it's also not worrying. Um, worry, worry is a disproportionate, read this definition, worry is a disproportionate level of concern about something that you're not actually responsible for, nor can you guarantee the outcome of. Worry is a disproportionate level of concern about something that you are not actually responsible for, nor can you guarantee the outcome of. And if we're honest, that's a lot of the stuff that rattles around in our minds and in our hearts that we feel in our gut. It's concern for something that we can no longer do anything about. And so a little sub-question I want to ask is why do we worry? Uh, I think there are two key reasons that I want to look at today that I think are both found in Scripture. Um, and one is idolatry, and the other is what I'll call over-responsibility. So idolatry and over-responsibility. I want to look at the first one, idolatry. Um, you might be thinking, Andy, it's 2020. People aren't worshiping statues, bro. They're not worshiping idols. Um, but idols always pointed to something else. That's why you had like the God of war, the God of love. Um, you'd sacrifice to a false God. You'd sacrifice to an idol so that they would give you a specific thing. I've been to Athens. I've been to Greece, to the, to the, the old Pantheon area, and they have all, where all the gods would have been. And um, they had hundreds of gods, and you would go to those different gods for different things. They were like all specialists. There wasn't a generalist god. And, and, and what you would go to those gods for has not changed in 2,000 years. It was things like success and money and power and romance. It hasn't changed a lot. Um, uh, an author named Steve Cuss, a uh, guy I really dig, a mentor of mine, he, he, he writes this. He says, one of the most consistent recurring topics of the entire Bible is idolatry. At first glance, we dismiss idolatry as something quaint that people used to do. But now that we put a man on the moon and invented free Wi-Fi, we have outgrown such quaint behavior. But recently, many Christian thinkers have helped us see the prevalence of idolatry. Tim Keller preached and wrote extensively about idols. In his presentation, Preaching the Gospel, he identified an idol as any good thing that you make into an ultimate thing. Money, for example, is a good thing, but those who make it an ultimate thing are idolatrous. A person's, again, it's about priorities. A person's opinion may be a good thing. You, you, it's not bad to want to be liked. But if you make it an ultimate thing, you end up exhausted trying to keep everyone happy. An idol is anything other than Jesus that you must have to be okay. 
In the Bible, an idol was always a tangible object and often forged by someone. Today, an idol is more commonly a heart desire, an impulse or a compulsion that we think we need to have in order to be okay. Tim Keller described more about idols. Uh, Tim Keller wrote this, an idol is a functional savior. Why do we lie or fail to love or break our promises or live selfishly or worry? Of course, the, the general answer is because we are weak and sinful, but the specific answer is that there is something besides Jesus that we feel we must have to be happy, something that is more important to our heart than God, something that is enslaving our heart through inordinate desires. The key to change and even to self-understanding is therefore to identify the idols of the heart. Idols are not immediately easy to identify in your life, but one easy way to pay attention to where you are is to look to, to see where you are anxious, feeling threatened, or needing something in order to be settled. One way you know something is an idol is that you sacrifice time and power to get it. You can also spend some time looking at what you daydream about, what your biggest nightmare scenario is, and what you repeatedly worry about. The common thread of an idol is, I need it to be okay. So when you find yourself anxious or deeply unsettled, it may be because you're not getting what you think you need to be okay. Again, Steve Kress says, an idol is anything other than Jesus that you must have to be okay. What's that for you? Um... What's that thing that you assume you need? What are you willing to sacrifice to get? Can we worry about what we think we need most? Which is why Jesus starts this teaching on worry by challenging what we live for, what we worship, the idols we have. And, and, and he alludes to it in this text. In verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. And anytime the Bible says therefore, this is kind of cheesy, but it's true, you want to ask, what's the therefore therefore? And to find out, you always want to look at the verses that precede the therefore. And so in verse 24, Jesus says this. He says, no one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and your idol. And so Jesus knows that what we'll worry about most is connected to what we give our lives to. So when it's time to discuss worry, he starts with money here. And again, if you think about it, money's not bad. But if you think the key to a good life is making a lot of money, and it's the only way to a good life, then you will worry all the time about it. About getting it, keeping it, not losing it. You'll probably never be able to answer the question, how much is enough? You'll definitely never be able to ask, answer the question, how much is too much? And it might not be money for you. It could be something else. But Jesus points out that you shouldn't live for money because it can't give you what you actually need. You should never live for an idol because it can't give you what you actually need. And so let's apply it to money. Some people think they need a lot of money so they can have security. These people tend to oversave. And to them, Jesus says, look at the birds. They work hard, but their security is in God. He is their ultimate provider. Some people think they need a lot of money so they can prove they're a big deal and prove they're impressive. These people overspend. As one leader says, they buy things they don't need to impress people they don't even like. And to these people, Jesus says, look at the flowers. They don't spend any money on clothing, but they're more beautiful. And they look, they look, they look fresher than the richest guy in the world, Solomon, in his handmade fine clothing. And so he's saying your significance and your security 
come from God, not what you own or how much is in your bank account. So an idol, again, is something you think you need. It could be money, but it could be other things. Amazing clothes, a dope trip, um, the last word in every argument, to be married by a certain time, a spouse who always understands you, kids who always obey you, to accomplish a certain career goal by a certain time. And half of those aren't even realistic. But that shows you, you just keep, you keep, it keeps driving you. I have to have this thing and, and not getting it crushes you or you finally get it and it crushes you even more because it never delivers enough. It feels good for a moment, but it never satisfies. And so you're anxious, you're worrying, man, how am I going to get this? What you think you aren't going, when, when you think you aren't going to get it, that's when the worry really kicks in. Now, again, it's not bad to have goals. But a goal and a need are two different things. And Jesus says that you have a father who will always provide what you need. So often um, our idols, the things we think we need, cause us to worry. But we also worry, this gets to the second point, we also worry when we take on what I'm going to call over-responsibility. Here's what I mean by over-responsibility. When we begin to think that our worrying can actually change the future. When we, when we begin to believe um, that we are God, we think we can control things or events that are impossible to control. And Jesus hints at this in a few different places. He says, can any of you add one moment to their lifespan by worrying? That's rhetorical. The answer is no. And then he says this um, in verse 34. He says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And again, I've already pointed out the fact that Jesus is not anti-hard work anti-responsibility, anti-taking action when there's action to be taken, but there are a lot of things in life that there's nothing we can do about, that we have to trust him with. And so Jesus, again, he says, focus on what is in front of you today. Worrying's not gonna fix tomorrow, and it's not gonna fix most of, much of anything in this life that really matters. We can, and also, this is important in our climate today, the coronavirus pandemic, we can worry about thousands of things that may never happen or speculate about tons of things that may or may not be true. And it stresses us out. The way the news gets delivered right now, if you watch like a, a liberal news source, it's like coronavirus is going to kill everyone. If you watch a conservative news source, it's like coronavirus is overblown. America's going to look like I am legend soon because the economy is going to crash. It's going to be a dystopic nightmare. Buy a gun, buy water. It's doomsday prep. But most of it on both sides is speculation, not news. It, it's, it's guessing. It's, 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 and some hypotheses are better than others, but so much of it is speculation. And even if they're pretty much right, so much of it is stuff that you can't control. And so we can spend so much time obsessing about this and arguing about this, worrying about this, and it doesn't actually help much of anything. And again, I don't know where you get your news from, whether it's liberal or conservative media outlets or you're like you're balanced or whatever, but either way, most of you really need to reduce your news intake. You need to, you need to bring your, your news intake way down. For many of us, it is not leaving us more informed, but it is leaving us really, really anxious. And so much of it is stuff that we have no way of knowing either way if it's true or not. I'm all for being informed. But but you want to be informed so you can do something. You don't want to be informed just so you can worry. Or, or not informed. You don't want to just hear speculation. 
In Matthew 24, 6, Jesus says, there will be wars and rumors of wars. These things must happen uh, so that the end can, can, can be ushered in. And, and, and he basically says, that's all, like, bad stuff's going to happen in this world. You can't spend all your time trying to figure out who's going to go to war, what's going to happen, where will there be famine, and just kind of try to predict stuff. I want to encourage you to spend more time reading scripture than you do reading the news. And I want to encourage you to spend um, more, I want, you to, I want to encourage you to spend time with Jesus before the news of the day hits you. More time in scripture than you are reading the news. Definitely more time um, with Jesus than you are on YouTube. Uh, I want to encourage you to spend more time praying than complaining or arguing about the pandemic or our response to it. I promise you'll be happier regardless of what your stance is. Um, multiple times in the New Testament and the epistles, um, the churches are warned against quarreling and fighting over disputable matters. And the coronavirus and, and what the response is, it is so nuanced. We do not know who is right, who is wrong. We're not going to know for years. And it's a very disputable matter. And so we're called to love one another, not to convince each other of our position. We can share it respectfully and gently. But again, um, you're in a rough spot if you're, if you're, if you're running hard after um, worry and, and you're willing to hurt others in the midst of your worry about things again that you can't even do much about. Um, the truth is we never know what tomorrow holds, but we do know who holds tomorrow in his hand. A generous father that Jesus says cares for you deeply. This over-responsibility thing that you have to provide for yourself and you, you have to make the future happen. Um, Charles Spurgeon, a, um, a preacher from the UK from about 200 years ago, a really famous preacher, he says this, he says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. You and I worry because we think we need to create security or significance all by ourselves. But Jesus says, you are forgetting. You have a father who loves you so much. He loves you more than anyone in this world could ever love you. He loves you more than you love yourself. If he cares about the birds, and he's like, the birds aren't even that big of a deal. If he cares about the birds, he cares about you. Romans uh, 5, 1 to 2 says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Also through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have been reconciled, the gospel says we've been reconciled to God, who is now our father, the sovereign king of the universe is now your daddy. And he's going to provide for you. And I know it is so hard to believe sometimes. But I would say the logic of Jesus is, is even if that's hard to believe, worrying isn't going to make it any better either way. So we have a chance to, to, to trust him and go to him. All right, so now I'm going to look at number two, what peace is. Um, this is going to be a shorter point uh, because we've already um, have seen uh, some glimpses of what peace is when I was looking at what peace is not. I did a little compare and contrast between kind of peace and worry or peace and anxiety. And so we've already gotten a, a picture of what peace is. But uh, that being said, uh, Tim Keller defines peace this way. And we've been using his definitions throughout our time uh, in this series. He says, confidence and rest in the wisdom and sovereignty of God more than your own. So peace is a confidence and rest 
and the wisdom and sovereignty of God more than your own. And I would, I would say that it's, I'm not going to disagree with Tim Keller too hard here, but I would say that um, it's confidence and rest in the wisdom, sovereignty, and love of God more than your own. And we see this in, in the Matthew 6 passage. Um, Jesus is arguing that God cares for you. Uh, as Jews um, at this time in history, they would have believed in a sovereign God. They would have believed in a, um, a, a God who was all wise and all powerful. Um, but Jesus is going, he's not only that, he, he cares about you. He's your, your daddy. He's your Abba. He's your Papa. The king of the universe is now your dad. In, in Romans 8.32, Paul says, He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. This is the father who gave up his own son. How will he not also with him grant us everything? And the logic of that verse, as Paul is saying in the gospel, in the gospel, God gave the ultimate gift. He redeemed us with the blood of his very own son to reconcile with us, to redeem us, to buy us out of bondage, to, to bring us to himself. And would he bring us to himself just to, to, to leave us hanging? Would he, would he, would he reconcile with us just to, 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 to walk away from us? And, and he's like, no, that's crazy. There's not a chance. We see this in the Old Testament with Israel. Um, God, did you, you know, Israel was in slavery in Egypt and God sent the plagues and, and, and then the Passover happens and then um, the, the, the Exodus happens, the parting of the Red Sea and, and, and they get through and then a few days later, you know, they're asking Moses, hey, did God just bring us out to the desert to die? It's like, what you, and, you know, and Moses has to be thinking, what do you think? No, he's called you to be his people. He, he's calling you into abundant life in his kingdom. And the same is true for us. He didn't bring us out of slavery to sin and death just to leave us hanging just to not give us what we need. Um, in my family, my son Calvin, he, um, he has just some separation anxiety, gets a little nervous, and, um, and for some reason this has never happened. We have never left him, but he often thinks we're going like, to leave him. And there are times where we'll be in different parts of the house, and he'll kind of freak out and run in, and he'll go, I, th- I thought you left the house. And, and we just have to say, boo, when have we ever left you alone at a house? We tell him all the time that we love him. We, we've sacrificed. Your mom gave birth to you. Everything you've ever had, we pretty much paid for. How could he forget that we love you? Um, there was an old Puritan writer, I forget which one it was, um, but he said that that's, um, the most offensive thing we can do to God is tell him that we don't believe he loves us. And I don't know about the most offensive thing, but, but I agree that, man, a good father is grieved when, he, when his kids tell him, we don't think you love us. We don't think you care about us. It's what we see, you know, in Luke 15, with the prodigal son story. And I know I experienced that in my life. And God's a perfect father. And he has loved you perfectly. He has, he has paid an ultimate price to bring you to himself. And so peace is walking in the reality that God is big and he loves you. And it's, it's not knowing, again, what tomorrow is going to bring. But you know who's going to bring tomorrow, your papa who is the king of the universe. And because of that, you can, you can rest. You can have peace, even if the circumstances aren't perfect. I feel like God wants to tell us, remember, I've provided what you've needed so, so many times. And you can know, man, I, I can know I'm going to be okay. I don't know what it's going to look like. It might not be what I want, but he's going to give me everything I need. And those are his problems, not mine. Um, so we're going to close with point number three. It's the most practical point, And it's this. Um, how can we experience peace, you know, practically? How, how, we, how can we experience peace? 
right now in the midst of this. And I wanna give you guys one really practical exercise that flows out of some of Paul's teaching that's in light of Jesus' teaching. So in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6, he goes, you have this caring father. You don't even know it yet, but, but in light, after I go to the cross, after, do, after I do what I do, you, you'll be reconciled to God the Father. And Father's too formal of a word. The word that he used was Abba or Appa, or it's like Papa, Daddy. The king of the universe is your dad and he cares about you and he sees you and he knows you and he loves you and you cannot compare him to your earthly dad because he's better. I don't care how good your earthly dad was. And I'm, I'm heartbroken if you had a bad dad, but this dad is a perfect dad. And not only is he a, a good dad who loves you, he's the king of the universe. And, and in light of that, Paul goes, hey, you know, what kids can do with a, a healthy father, you know, healthy father-child relationship is they can bring their needs to them. So Philippians 4, 6 to 7, Paul, Paul writes this, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart's in minds, in Christ Jesus. And so Paul says, you bring your stuff to God, he'll give you peace. And so practically, uh, I want to say a way we can do that is um, a practical way we can bring our stuff to him is I want you to, to take 15 minutes this week. And I'd encourage you, maybe if you're really wrestling with worry lately, especially since the coronavirus stuff has taken off, I want to encourage you maybe to do this every night for a few nights. But I want you to, to, to take a piece of paper and put a line maybe three quarters of the way to, to, to the right and I want you to, to write at the top, what's making me anxious? And then in the other column, I want you to write, whose responsibility is it? And uh, so I want you to write, man, everything that's making you anxious. So often when, when there's a lot of low-level, ongoing, kind of chronic anxiety swirling around our hearts, um, it can get so tangled. We're not even sure what we're anxious about. We just know we're, we're anxious we're not totally even sure what we're worried about, but we're worrying a lot. And, and when you, you write it all down, A, you see, man, I'm carrying a lot. But two, man, a lot of this isn't even my responsibility. Or a lot of this, there's nothing I can even do about it. Or there's something I can do about it. So I can act or I can pray, but I don't have to worry. I have these two other options. And so, so you can go through and, and, and maybe um, it's a big picture macro thing you're worried about. The future of the world economy. And that's, a, that's one where very quickly you're going to have to realize, um, God, I need to entrust this to you. This is not my responsibility. Or maybe at, at more of a micro level, closer to home, maybe it's a relationship you're in. And um, I know in my life I have a relationship that is not where I want it to be. And, and I, I have to entrust, we have to entrust people to God sometimes in our relationships. And so um, the, the Bible says, you know, as much as it's up to you, be at peace with all men. And, and I have a relationship in my life where I, as much as it's up to me, I've done my part and the other person just doesn't want to do that and, and, and we're kind of stuck and, and right now it's painful. It's causing me anxiety. Um, but it's something I can go, you know what? I, currently I don't have a responsibility here. God, I need to entrust this to you. Will you can I hand this to you? I've even pictured, can I hand this relationship to you, Father? Or, or um, uh, our, as parents, man, I, so often I have to entrust my children to the Father and say, you know what? You're their truest dad. And there's this thing, there's this personality thing or a health issue or I, I think about their future and I get nervous for them. Um, and I have to go, you know what, tomorrow's not here yet and I need to entrust them to you. I'm not always going to be around. I need to entrust them to you. And I can't control them anyways, even when I am around. 
I have to entrust them to you. And I think God often says, hey, my calling is for you to love them today and entrust me with their tomorrow. And that's such a freeing place to be. Um, maybe it's, it's a relationship that that's, it, it is your responsibility. It's, it's a conflict where you could reconcile. It's another follower of Jesus. It's someone, um, I have taught a sermon um, at all three of these, the churches I'm preaching to right now. I've preached this sermon at, at, in Durban at Harbor City. I preached this sermon at Restored Temecula, and I've preached it here in North Park at Restored Uptown. And it's on how to resolve conflict in a Jesus-centered way. Jesus teaching out of Matthew 18. Grab that sermon. Grab the conflict cheat sheet thing we put together. If you have questions on that, talk to your pastors. We'd love to help you. If there's a conflict, there's someone that you actually do need to move towards. You need to confess to, apologize to, reconcile with. Um, but either way, as you go through all these different things, you know, I'm worried about my mom's health. Um, is there anything practically you can do about that? Or is that something you need to entrust to God? And I know it sounds so simple, but I really believe that as we bring our anxiety to him, peace fills our hearts. If we do verse six, I do believe verse seven can happen. It is possible to live a life of peace in a world that is full of a lot of stuff to be afraid of. Jesus says, uh, in John's gospel, he says, I give you peace, but not uh, like the peace the world gives, which is circumstantial. Um, he gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding, which means it makes sense to be anxious. He's like, you don't have to be. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live in worry. You've got a dad who loves you, and he's got your back always. I love you guys. I hope you experience more of his peace this week.